In 11th grade, I had a wonderful teacher that we affectionately called Doc. And when we would go through a lesson, she would dictate the notes that we needed. And so there would be no guesswork at all, which was great. But then she would say something like, okay, you have the notes, but you don't understand them. And she'd proceed to help us understand the uh, scientific concepts that we'd just written down. And I thought that was a really important thing to say. Because as we go through the Apostles' Creed, we're seeking not just to know something by way of reciting it, but by way of knowing it by understanding. And we're discovering how this ancient creed, this statement of faith, arises out of the truths of Scripture, and that it summarizes key concepts of our faith. We've talked over the past two weeks that when we say, I believe, we're saying, I trust these things are true. I put my trust and faith in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, we're looking at the final section of the Creed, which deals with the Holy Spirit, as well as some other core beliefs as well. And so the Creed continues. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, admittedly, we get God the Father, we get God the Son, but oftentimes the Holy Spirit kind of leaves us scratching our heads. You know, what exactly does he do? Well, the Holy Spirit, like the Father and the Son, is fully God. And the Holy Spirit is not an it, but a he, a person. And the Holy Spirit has always been at work, both in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and today. Along with the Father and the Son, he participated in the creation of the heavens and the earth. And he empowered people with the supernatural abilities or giftings to do the work that God called them to do. And he does this for us today as well, as he empowers us to live the Christian life and to follow God's call wherever he is leading us individually. In fact, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that changes our hearts and brings us to salvation in the first place. Now, something really awesome is that the Holy Spirit dwells inside all of us who trust in Jesus. God takes residence inside of us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So as God's presence dwelled in the temple in Jerusalem, so now God's presence dwells inside of all who put their faith in Jesus. And if that's the case, what we do with our bodies matters. In fact, uh, in, the Paul, in, the, in the passage that Paul is speaking in 1 Corinthians, he's specifically addressing, addressing sexual immorality, but it really applies across the board. How we live matters because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And the amazing thing about life with God is the Holy Spirit empowers us to follow Jesus rightly, in our mind, 
and with our bodies. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live the Christian life. If you've been a Christian more than 10 minutes, you know that being a Christian is not easy, right? No. No. There's a lot of difficult things. And so we need the help of the Holy Spirit to live in ways that honor and please God, to draw us closer to Jesus, to lead and guide us away from sin and toward righteousness. So that rather than reflecting our old sinful ways, we would reflect the character of Jesus. In Galatians 5, I want you to notice the contrast Paul makes between people who are led by the flesh or by the sinful nature and people who are led by God's Spirit. This is Galatians 5, 13 to 26. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us if we are to be transformed. And when we allow God's Spirit to work in us, we grow in holiness. Now, yes, we put in a great deal of effort into our spiritual lives, into obeying God's Word, but we are not on our own. The Spirit produces qualities in us that are fitting of those belonging to Jesus. The Holy Spirit makes us strong in our battle against sin. We we don't do this by sheer willpower, but by the power of the Spirit. And that's not to say that we never sin, but it's the idea that sin is no longer our identity. Our goal is not to satisfy our sinful nature anymore. It's to follow the Lord. And yes, do we mess up? Absolutely. But then we come before the Lord and we ask for his grace and forgiveness and for the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to follow God better. That's the key to overcoming sin in our lives. Knowing that we're not in this 
on our own, relying on God's Spirit. The Holy Spirit is indeed our helper. In John 14, 25 to 26, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You see, when Christ ascended to heaven, the Father sent the Holy Spirit to be another helper for us. The word here uh, for helper uh, in Greek is the idea of one who comes to someone's aid, one who appears on someone's behalf, one who comes alongside another. And that's what the Holy Spirit is. He teaches us. He reminds us of Jesus' words so that we can live them out. But I also want to say that the Holy Spirit will never teach or lead us in a way that is contrary to God's word. Because the Holy Spirit is God, and God is not going to contradict God. And so if you feel like the Holy Spirit is leading you in a way contrary to Scripture, guess who's actually talking to you? Probably you. Imagine a parent is teaching you how to change the oil in your car for the first time. They can tell you what to do. They can sit you down in uh, your living room and just say, here's what you do. And then they can send you out and you know, leave you on your own to figure out how to apply that to your car. Or they can come alongside you, they can teach you and then go outside with you. They can remind you what you learned. They can guide you as you replace the oil filter. They can remind you of different things that you have to look for. And that's kind of what the Holy Spirit does in our Christian lives. Jesus doesn't say, hey, follow me and then leave us on our own. He sent us the Spirit to dwell in us, to be our helper and teacher, to guide us in our Christian lives. And, you know, it's actually really amazing how the Holy Spirit does that. So, for instance, maybe we're, we're reading a passage of Scripture, and something just jumps out at us. Maybe it's something we needed right at that moment. Or maybe five hours later, we realize we read that passage, and suddenly it's immediately applicable to something we're dealing with. Or maybe something finally clicks as we're reading Scripture. Or we're reading scripture or a, or a book talking about scripture and, and we suddenly feel convicted. God's calling us out on something. The Holy Spirit's trying to point to something and say, you know, this is what I want to change in your life to make you more like Jesus. Or perhaps we hear a sermon. Doesn't have to be my sermon. Uh, it can be anybody's sermon. And it's like the scripture is talking directly to you and you think, how did that pastor know? Well, the pastor had no clue, but the Holy Spirit knew. Or maybe there's a circumstance. Maybe it's in talking with someone or just something happens in your life for a different moment, and it reminds you of something in Scripture. It reminds you of the goodness of God. These are different ways that the Holy Spirit works in our lives, pointing us to the Lord.
Another thing the Holy Spirit does, which I think is wonderful, is the Holy Spirit helps us pray. Have you ever been in a situation where you're like, I, I don't exactly know how to pray for this situation, and I'm afraid that if I don't say the right words, God's not going to hear me or answer me? Guess what? You can relax. Listen to what Romans 8, 26 to 27 says. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You don't have to say just the right perfect things. The Holy Spirit knows. The Holy Spirit knows your heart. The Holy Spirit is going before the Lord on our behalf. Even when we can't get out the right words. God knows. God knows what we need. And the Holy Spirit empowers us, very importantly, to be witnesses of Christ to the world. Right before Jesus ascends into heaven, we read this in Acts 1, 7, 8. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will give us power. Was it power to, to beat down our enemies? Is it power to, to storm castles and become kings of our own little kingdom? No. He says this power is to be witnesses to the world about who he is, so that people may come to know him and be saved. You know, it can be scary to share our faith. We worry maybe we don't have the right words. Maybe we'll get judged. Maybe we'll talk someone out of following Jesus by the words we use. Whatever, it can be scary. But we don't do this alone. The Holy Spirit is working in and through us to testify to the truth of Jesus. We can relax. And we can trust him as we share our faith that he is with us, that he is working in the person we're talking to, and that, you know what, even if we don't have the perfect words, God can use our imperfect words because he uses imperfect people. And, I mean, in reality, aside from Jesus, those are his only options. <laughs> so this is not an exhaustive list of everything the Holy Spirit is and does. If we were to go over an exhaustive list, we'd be here for days. But it's, it's, a, it's an overview, so to speak. And then the creed continues with a few more uh, things, a few more important comments about our faith. Creed says, I believe in the holy Catholic Church. The Spirit works through the people of God. Galatians 3, 26 to 27, or 29 rather. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, 
There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And you are all Christ's, then you are all Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. As those who trust in Jesus, we are one united people of God. We are all different. We are all different in many ways. But Christ makes us one. And so all who trust in Jesus for who he is are part of the same kingdom, the same family, the same people of God. And so as Rocky Creek, we are, we are Christians together, united with the church throughout the world. Ephesians 4, 1-6 talks about our unity in Christ. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now, when we say we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, we're not talking about the Roman Catholic Church, but the, the universal church, meaning the Christian church throughout the world. Um, that's what we are. That's what the church is, the community of people who trust in Jesus globally. And we are called to walk in a way that is fitting of those who are called to follow Jesus. Now, this church of all churches knows that the church is not a building. It's a community. It's not an organization. It's a body. And we are a holy church, meaning that we're set apart for God to live according to his ways. And that means at times that we will inevitably live lives that are different from the rest of our culture. The creed continues. I believe in the communion of saints. Now, when we use the word communion, sometimes we're referring to the Lord's Supper. But here, the, the term is broader. It's talking about the fellowship that we share as Christians. We're meant to meet together regularly to worship God. Hebrews 10.25 tells us, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. All believers are saints. We are God's holy ones, those God who's made holy because Jesus has taken our sins and given us his holiness, his righteousness, the communion of saints. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. We believe that we're forgiven of our sins through Jesus' death and resurrection. Acts 10.43 says, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Even our darkest sins and greatest failures are forgiven by God through Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus' death and resurrection forgave us our sins so that we could be with God. And that forgiveness we receive from God then means that we are called to forgive others. And then finally, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. 
1 Thessalonians 4, 16-18 talks about Christ's second coming. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. At Jesus' second coming, we will be raised to life like him, never to die again. Death does not win. Life does. Sin does not have victory. Jesus does. And that, friends, is the Apostles' Creed. That's what we believe. That is the truth of the gospel. And so embrace it. Live it out. And celebrate our great and marvelous God who desires to have fellowship with us. Let us pray. Lord, we trust in you. We thank you for all that you are as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would help us to continue to internalize these truths into our lives. Day by day, you would help us to rejoice in your goodness and all that you are. Draw us nearer to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.